This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host, Brendan Sinone. Although I, well, to, to the pleasure of some of you, I will not be the host for most of today as we begin one of uh, a few series that we have planned for the next month or so. This is the first episode of our Camp Memories series. No, I don't mean memories of me spending my summers at the YMCA getting picked on by the cool kids. This is a series about football camps that became staples at FSU for the last decade or so. Uh, none this year, as we well know, for, for obvious reasons, we missed them. I know I miss covering them, and I'm sure Josh and Chris and uh, and the rest of the guests we're going to have on through the course of this series missed it as well. Uh, but we want to go over some of these storylines that made June and July bearable, uh, that made the summer months memorable as we push through the dog days of summer to get to fall camp. We're going to have nostalgia. We're going to have insights. We're going to get behind-the-scenes looks at details that, that probably uh, you guys have never heard before, some really important recruitments in the history of FSU football. Put it this way, we're uniquely positioned to do this sort of podcast because Josh Newberg and Chris Nee covered FSU recruiting at an elite level. They cover it at an elite level now, but they've done so for a very long time, not to say those two are old, but they've done it for more than a decade now. So with that in mind, today's toast is going to be Josh Newberg. Josh, uh, I heard it in your voice yesterday when we were doing the uh, the prep for this episode. You're legitimately excited for the series, huh? I'm excited for the series because attending these summer camps year after year, summer after summer were one of the most enjoyable aspects of my job. Uh, we talked on the meet to the beat series about some of the things that were great. Some of the things that, you know, we don't look forward to with our job. Summer camps were definitely the highlight of my year, uh, coming up to Tallahassee. I love to get out of the house, but every time I'd come up to Tallahassee, especially between the years of, you know, say 2010 and 2015, just to be up there, among some of the greatest players in America at the time. Um, at the time, it was an up-and-coming coaching staff. There was just a lot of great positive energy around the team, and recruiting reflected that, right? Um, you, Tallahassee you like, you became like a heat, destination. Josh, right? Like you, like, you like the heat. I don't mean the summer heat. You like, like the transfer portal now. You like where there's the action is. You like to be where there's a lot of information mm-hmm. and news Good to go point. sniff it out, and that's what those camps were in the heyday of FSU football, not all that long ago. Yeah. The surprising arrivals of number one prospects at their position. Heck there was some times where the number one prospect in America came to campus uh, for these summer camps. And that was amazing and fun to cover. Um, But overall it was a time um, to watch the Florida state coaching staff in action with some of the guys that they wanted um, some of the guys that they would end up landing. And it was one of the times where Jimbo kind of, allowed a a look behind the curtain, right? Uh, Jimbo was very protective of his team and his coaching staff during the season, but he was kind of ahead of the game where he understood like, Hey, if I pull back the curtain a little bit and let these media guys tell the story of what's happening, 
in this day and age of social media, it'll help us in recruiting. It'll, it'll kind of feed the fire and, and, and get the momentum going. And that's just what he did coming off of that Balby Bowden era. We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to go back even prior to that, right? Where are we going to start, mm-hmm. Brendan? We are going to go into basically kind of when Jimbo arrived, but this was the Bobby Bowden touch on the program and trying to rejuvenate recruiting a little bit towards the end of his era in 2007. I'm not going to be a big part of this aspect of of the series because I was in high school in 2007. I was not in Tallahassee covering Florida State. Uh, But essentially what we see is Bobby Bowden and the FSU football program respond to what Florida was doing, which is the Friday Night Lights, which became one of the marquee events of any sorting recruiting calendar, like if you were covering recruiting in the Southeast, Friday Night Lights was a destination. FSU creates its own sort of Friday Night Lights. And we're going to get to that in a bit here of, of what exactly they did, what the response was, how that came about. And, and then eventually, I guess, not to give too much away, but like how that evolves as well under Jimbo when he takes over. Sounds good. Well, you step aside. I'm going to bring on the next two guests. Well, hold hold on. Before we do that, a little, a little bit of fun news, right? Oh, yeah. Big fun news. Big fun news for us. And and a huge reason why we're able to make this series possible, the next two series possible, and dedicate so much time to it is because we, we have a new sponsor who stepped up. Daniel Garland, a financial advisor for Evershore Financial Group. Josh is going to tell you a little bit more about Daniel in a second, but let me give you his background. Daniel is an FSU fan. He's a graduate of Florida State and a fan of On the Bench, which good taste in, in podcasts by him. Uh, but he graduated from FSU in the spring of 2013, just missed out on, on being in tally for the national title season. Uh, but given the uncertain times we're in, I, I'm happy that we have a loyal listener and FSU fan who, who stepped up and he's providing a service that's extremely valuable in today's climate for a company that's reputable and has consistently been recognized by uh, publications like the Orlando Sentinel, the Florida Trends, the South Florida Business Journal. Josh, uh, go ahead and tell the folks a little bit more about Daniel and the Evershore Financial Group. Absolutely, Brandon. Right now, we're experiencing some of the most difficult economic circumstances of all time. In times like these, it's important to have a financial plan for your finances. Dan Garland and Greg Abdullah are financial professionals and diehard Seminoles. As professionals with specialties in current financial position analysis, investments, retirement planning, risk management, and life insurance, you can get a comprehensive financial plan to help guide you to your long-term goals. Dan and Greg are FINRA registered financial professionals with Evershore Financial Group. With four offices in Florida and clients all over the country, you know you can get individualized help from someone who cares. Call Dan today at 321-304-4026 for no-obligation consultation. Separate from the financial plan and our role as financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan and you are under no obligation to follow them. Dan Garland and Greg Abdullah are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities and Investment Advisory Services offered through Securian Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Evershore Financial Group is independently owned and operated. 3300 PGA Boulevard, Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, 33410. All right, Josh, that was remarkably well-read. I can't believe you nailed that. Legitimately in one take, people. We're one not take. This. He did that. Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> but they, hey, 
take time to do your research on Daniel and Evershore Financial. I, I mm-hmm. want you guys to support the people who are supporting us, at least give them you know, the due diligence and, and reach out to, to Daniel. We'll provide some more information uh, in the actual story that goes along with this podcast as well. That's enough rambling for me, Josh. You have some fun guests coming up. We're going to be able to provide far more insights on this era of FSU football than I could. So uh, I will turn off my mic and have a happy podcasting to you, sir. Let's go. All right, now let's get to our special guests. First up, we have McKinley Roll, who is currently the head football coach at Dwyer High School, but back in 2007 to 2009, when all the seminal showtimes were going on, McKinley was the publisher of Noel Digest on the Scout Network. Um, Noel Digest, ironically enough, got swept up by 24-7 when we purchased Scout.com in, uh, I think, a couple years ago. But back when McKinley covered it, uh, Noel Digest was one of the main sources for recruiting news. And uh, McKinley, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome back on the show. You've been on on the bench before, but this is a little bit different. Yep, yep. And then we also have, next to McKinley, we have Charles Fishbein, a good friend of both me and McKinley's. But Charles Fishbein is from Elite Scouting Services. Back in 2007, I think you were just getting ESS started. I actually worked for you, Fish, for two years from from 08 to 09. And um, we went together to Seminole Showtime, if I remember correctly, in 2009. So, Fish, welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Um, some good memories. We we probably spent about a half hour before the show started just trying to remember the timeline with everything. So we'll, we'll take this slow. We'll get there eventually. Um, but McKinley, if you can remember back to 2007, uh, Seminole Showtime came about and it was kind of an answer to UF's Friday Night Lights, which at the time was wildly successful. Uh, do you remember kind of the genesis or where you first heard what you thought when Seminole Showtime was coming around? Yeah, so I thought it was definitely the answer to uh, Florida's Friday night lights. And I thought it was a great compliment. Um, you know, it was typically on Saturday. So, if, you know, a prospect wanted to go to UF on Friday night, they could also come to Tallahassee on Saturday night, um, or Saturday mm-hmm. and, um, and, and go through the camp, get a visit, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought it was a great idea. And, um, one that, you know, kind of gave FSU a shot in the arm in recruiting. Yeah. And, you know, this was kind of coming at the time where Florida State wasn't recruiting real well. Part of it was the end of the Bobby Bowden era, and part of it was just the fact that, you know, Florida State hadn't really updated themselves when it came to recruiting. But they made a big move. Uh, Fish, you you really – you were high on Bob LaCivita. What, what the move I'm talking about is UF had a recruiting director named Bob LaCivita that had been with Urban Meyer for a couple years, and UF was really cooking – so FSU needed to do something. And one of their answers was to hire away Bob Lasavita, who was a behind the scenes guy from UF. But what did that mean for Florida state at the time fish? Well, it, you know, Florida state was so far behind in recruiting and, and, you know, I had a relationship with Bob Lasavita at Florida. So I had already experienced what he had done and some of the things he was able to accomplish there with their recruiting. And he did bring uh, Friday night lights to urban and it was pretty much his idea. So it was the same concepts, um, 
the Florida State one was a little different. Like McKinley said, one, it was on Saturday, not Fridays. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it just it brought Florida State into the future. They were so far behind in their ways to get kids on campus. I remember going to the Bobby Bowden camps at then, and you'd be lucky if there was one or two star players. I remember the year, you know, Willie Williams came out and same with uh, Drew Weatherford. Those were like the only two players at their camp. Um, mm-hmm. So the Saturday, you know, the Saturday night light thing basically gave them the opportunity to get the bigger name prospects on campus that they usually wouldn't have got at one of their uh, summer camps. Yeah. Um, McKinley, what, what did you think Seminole Showtime was trying to accomplish? Well, I think it was trying to, you know, like I said before, give a shot in the arm to recruiting, um, bring, um, you know, prestige back to Florida State, you know, kind of give it that shot in the arm that it needed. Um, you know, going through those dark years, like Fish had mentioned, um, you know, with Bob, a funny story about Bob Lasavita. So when Myron was going through the recruiting process, Bob was actually at UF mm-hmm. and we didn't know who he was. We were just like, man, who was this little white guy with silver hair? And he knew everything about Myron, you know, um, mm-hmm. and Florida State really didn't have that. So when he came to Florida State and we saw him with a different polo on, we were like, wow, you know what I mean? And he was just, I think he really help behind the scenes and, and fish will talk about it more, but you know, you know Bob really helped that. But with the, with the show's case, I think that it was just, it was a great event for Florida state. It needed something to give, give that juice back, give the swagger back. And, and that was the start of it. Yeah, it was the start of it. 2007 was, was the first year that they put it on. And one of the funny things about trying to remember what all happened in these consecutive years, 07, 08, and 09, you know, you're trying to pull back to your memory. So I called each of you individually and we talked for a little bit and I asked fish if he went to the one in 07 and he said he wasn't at the one in 07, but then I'm talking to McKinley and I said, McKinley, you covered the one in 07, right? And you're like, yeah, that was the one with Jerry Rice because I remember me and fish took a picture with him. So, so fish, which is it? Were you at the one in 07 or were you not? You know, I was at it. I just get the years confused. I do I remember, um, you know, a quick story at, at the time McKinley had just taken over. Uh, mm-hmm. We were at the the summer camp and Darius Cummings uh, was at the summer camp. And of course, nobody knew who Darius was because he was a, back then underclass recruiting was like nobody really covered anybody unless they were a right. senior. And I had turned to McKinley and I'm like, man, there's something up with Dar- this kid. I'm telling you, they're recruiting them. And, and I remember going over to Darius at the camp and I'm like, hey, what's your name? He, he had given me his name. He goes, yeah. He goes, I committed to Florida State. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. So me and McKinley kind of pulled the kid aside and we like hit him uh, to do an interview <laughs> uh, at, at the Florida State camp. So Gene and some of the other guys covering the camp wouldn't right. see it. So we did the interview and basically – Darius was there on a Wednesday and committed and we're like, Hey, listen, he goes, yeah, I'm going to seminal showcase. We're like, Oh, that's great. He goes, I'm going to commit there. And we're like, Hey, listen, you know, just, you know, kind of not tell anybody about this that you're committing. He goes, Oh, no problem. I go, yeah, turn your <laughs> phone off. If you see an eight five Oh number, just turn that thing off and, and don't answer it unless it's like one of that fish, a few coaches. So we did this whole, um, commitment breakdown of, of Darius. And, and at the time I had this guy, Roy working for me and he, he knew computers and how to put music. And we, I think we had like Jay-Z in the video and I'm interviewing them and McKinley's like, Hey, we got to put that thing up tonight, man. We got to put it up tonight. I go, we promise. 
we wouldn't do it till like this weekend. And we put it up that night <laughs> and, you know, like we already know what happened after that, you know, so oh, this is fake news. And this is back when, <laughs> you know, it's not true. We don't even know who this kid is. It's not confirmed. Even, it's not confirmed. It's not in a database. I mean, the kid, nobody knew who he was, yeah, but I dude. knew, you, you know, when you go to the camps and you've experienced it, when the coaches are like literally hugging a kid and mm-hmm. or, I mean, they had Darius playing tight end. They had him playing D line and it was just funny. It was yeah, just one of the many, it was just one of the many times we beat, you know, our competitors uh, at the yeah, time. That was the old, uh, the war chant move was to uh, deny, yeah. deny, deny until you yeah. can confirm it. <laughs> yeah. I think that year we beat them on like 24 to 25. I think Gene almost had a, meltdown but hey listen it's all good you know so hold on so so 2007 was the jerry rice year i did i I was jerry rice there the the reason he was there is jerry was a friend of um coach at the time coach dexter carter remember they were teammates at san francisco with the niners yeah so there was a connection there and jerry was kind of like a big surprise nobody knew he was there just like i think julio was a surprise you know because mm-hmm. um, julio jones was there and you know obviously he was the best prospect at the time um that was at the camp but yeah that's the reason jerry rice was there okay yeah it never really made sense i mean so <laughs> jerry rice was like the keynote speaker but they also had peter bolware terrell buckley and antonio Cromartie there as well uh you know I don't know why one of those guys wouldn't be the speaker, but Jerry Rice did make an impact. I mean, I do remember um, I was working for scout.com at the time covering USF in 2007, Um, but being an FSU alumni, I definitely always was on Noel Digest and checking out what you guys were writing. So I just remember like doing a double take Jerry Rice. Like what, why is Jerry Rice there? But (laughs) it does make sense. Now there wasn't a ton of talent there. Julio Jones and Marcus Forston, were like the two top recruits there. But the next year in 2008 um, is kind of where the the seminal Showtime really started taking shape for what people remember it as. And here's why. I'll, rem- I'll, I'll read you some of uh, the prospects that were there at the time. Um, he was already committed, but he came to camp, and that was Willie Halstead. Uh, Lonnie Pryor was there. We remember Lonnie Pryor. He was a stud running back out of Okeechobee. Like, he was... He was probably one of the top back backs in the state that year, right? Right, Fish? Yeah, he was I, He was probably one of the top two or three at least. But, yeah, he was a primetime target. I mean, at the time, Clemson, it really came down to FSU and Clemson. Um, Jeff Scott and his, his dad, Brad Scott, was the one recruiting them at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had gone to a game. Ironically, it was me and McKinley went to the game with uh, one of the coaches. And we had seen uh, Brad there. He was recruiting them, and and Brad, did, you know, Lonnie didn't even give Clemson the time of day. That's how far the programs have, you know, changed. Right. But, you know, Lonnie was a priority for FSU. I mean, he was probably one of their top targets on their board. Mm-hmm. Uh, McKinley, here's a blast from the past. He was a big time JUCO wide receiver, Corey Surrency. Uh, mm-hmm. He was there. I know you guys. You covered him remember that was back when Florida state was just looking for a spark and everybody Uh thought, you know, the next playmaker, okay, he's a Juco guy, plug and play. Let's go. What, what happened with Corey Surrency? Well, I I just don't think that, you know, obviously 
the transition, you coming from junior college to, you know, power five major college football, it's a bit of a transition. And it wasn't going to be as easy as, as thought, you know. And, and Corey was still a, while he was a, a, a good looking prospect as far as your mm-hmm. size, your speed, I still don't think, you know, his route running could have improved as well as, you know, just learning the intricacies of the game. Um, it's a tr- transition for anyone, you know, and obviously it wasn't a very smooth one for, for Corey, but, you know, just the excitement he gave because of this potential that he could actually have done something. I think everyone was looking for that spark. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Corey was, like I said, he was, he was a tall kid. He could run fast. He looked good. He, and he was also coming pants. from Juco. Correct. Correct. So he was almost like a grown man. Remember mm-hmm. so Jimbo wanted those grown ass men. Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, the fan base was a little bit desperate too at the time. Just absolutely that they were going to get this shot in the arm with, with a Juco prospect, but he kind of fizzled out. Um, listen, who else was there though? John Bostic, Carlos Williams, DeMonte McAllister, Olivier Vernon, Dre Kirkpatrick and Frankie Telford. Now DeMonte McAllister committed that day. Um, so this was kind of the start of, Hey, you know, come to these events, commit at these events. The media is here. Um, you know, this is the place to be seen in Tallahassee. And, and it wasn't prior to that, you know, it was really just Gainesville was the place to be for summer camps. Um, Mm -hmm. fish Carlos Williams was around the program a lot because of his brother, Vince Williams. Um, it's always fun to go back and remember Carlos Williams as a, as a high school prospect, because he was just such an athletic freak. Um, when did, when did Carlos register on your radar? I mean, Car- I, Carlos, you know, had committed, I think, in the eighth or ninth grade. I don't even think he was in high school when he committed. You know, I knew about Carlos mainly because I dealt with uh, his, you know, brother, Vince. And also, I, they had a brother, Johnny Williams. Like, Johnny was the first, commit, you know, recruit. He wasn't, he was more of a one double A D2 kid. And then came Vince. And I had dealt with Vince and his dad. And um, so they had already had told me about their younger brother who was like in the seventh or eighth grade, how great this kid was. And until we really got to see him in person uh, the first time, which was pretty impressive, Carlos was a a very good looking prospect early on. So you knew his talent and upside uh, when you saw him uh, in person off the hoof. So Mm -hmm. McKinley, what were some of your impressions from just seeing Showtime develop from 07 to 08? Um, It really had a big time feel to it in 08, didn't it? Yeah, no question. And I think that's what, you know, with the the Jimbo Fisher era, what you kind of saw, right? So the first year, you know, you had two big time prospects and then they just kept adding, kept adding Mm -hmm. commitments, um, prospects, big name prospects. And that's what you want to get. They wanted to get those bigger time uh, student athletes on campus to get a shot at them in the summertime, then possibly bring them back for other visits. But mm-hmm. they got the bigger names and started landing big time kids. And funny story about Carlos. I, I remember Carlos when um, when Myron was actually working out with Tom Shaw um, out in a wild world of sports. And, you know, Carlos is from Davenport, Florida. So he came out there. and I was like, man, who the hell is this kid? I mean, he was he was a big kid. He was fast. You know, he was a little raw. You could see he was just a big time athlete who could run, who was fast, but you know, you didn't know what position he was. I asked him, he was like, yeah, I'm just an athlete, you know, but you didn't know where he was going to play, but he was definitely a, a, a prospect at that time. But yeah, I mean, they were landing, 
they were getting big time kids there. And obviously they started getting commitments on campus, which is what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So this kind of shows that recruiting doesn't just flip a switch overnight and you don't just start recruiting at the top level. It's a slow build. You see the attraction start to come. And in 2009, this is as we get much closer to Jimbo taking over as head coach, um, his vision, you know, he's getting some of his guys on the coaching staff at this time. Bob Lasavita is there as well. And they're three years into this camp and, it, and the experience shows I'm, we're going to spend the most amount of time talking about these guys. So don't feel like you got to jump in. We'll have plenty of time, but I'll just read down some of the names that were in attendance in 2009, Jeff Luck, Christian Jones, Terrence Brooks, Tyler Hunter, Lonnie Pryor, James Wilder, Quint Trickett, Kenny Shaw. Um, that's those guys. I don't think was Jeff Luck committed at the time of that summer. No, no, he okay. had committed. So, I think he had committed in like after the camp, maybe in like October. Um, I, you know, I had a, I, I knew Jeff and his family real well. Yeah, explain the phenomenon that was Jeff Luck back in 2009 for, for you know, maybe back, fans that were still in high school back then. Well, back then, you know, you didn't have huddle and all these other, uh, you know, highlight companies that made highlights that basically there was like two or three people that made them, but Jeff Luck's coach, uh, coach, uh, Shepard, um, who's a head coach now, I believe at a Coe, he made a highlight of Jeff and it was just him. Oh, it, it looked like uh, Waterboy. I mean, he was just destroying. Just knockout hits. Left yeah. Right. Like just, yeah. And everybody was like, wow, this kid. And he was so much bigger and more physical than everybody that he played against uh, at Treasure Coast High School. And people like, you know, th that, that's the one thing about highlights you all have to be careful about is that's why they're called highlights. It's your best <laughs> plays and Jeff's best plays were put on there. Um, you go to a game. And you'd see one or two of those plays, but you could see that he was still as talented as, as he was. He still had a lot to learn. Um, you know, he just went off of natural ability in high school. And a lot of times that transition to college is, is too great for some kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But Jeff's recruitment and, and because of that highlight um, kind of took on like a mythical element oh, yeah. to it. Um, yeah, he, he was, he was a kid that everybody wanted. Um, at the time he was leaning heavily, heavily to university of Florida. Uh, mm -hmm. He was very, very close to coach strong. Um, you know, if coach strong had stayed uh, at Florida, I, I, I truly believe he, Jeff would have ended up at, uh, at university of Florida, but that was one of the first big battles. The first big battle that FSU won over Florida was Greg Reed. That, that showed people that, uh, Florida state could recruit with, uh, urban Meyer and, and he was committed at the time to Florida. So they kind of flipped him. But when you started, you know, Christian Jones was as big time of a prospect as he was, his dad had played at Florida mm -hmm. state. So that was more of one of those, like he, he probably wasn't going anywhere else, but Jeff was that first, he was one of those guys along with LaMarcus Joyner that, they won those battles and people realize, wait a second, you know, Jimbo's right. for real and, and his ability to recruit at a high level and Florida state to recruit at a high level was, they were there now. So. Especially when you look at the timeline of it all, right. It's 2009 looking back on it. We know that the Gators, their descent had already begun. Yes. We, we know that now, but at the time in 2009, UF was still a hot team, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. They were still on top. And what you're talking about 
things that Jeff Luck did, things that Christian Jones did. Another guy that did this was James Wilder. And what I'm talking about is making an unpopular decision. And it's a, it's a challenge right now that Mike Norvell face that he faces. He he's, he's got to make kids make an unpopular decision because let's face it right now, FSU isn't at the top. Um, if a, if a top tier five-star kid commits to FSU, he might get looked at it like, what, what, what are you doing? Well, well back Jimbo then, wasn't a, you know, yeah. Jimbo wasn't afraid of going after those guys. And I right. think that's a big thing is Jimbo mm-hmm. wanted, he, he had already been at SEC programs. He had already been around national championship caliber players and knew what they looked like. I remember with Wilder, he was like, there was, if they had crystal balls back then, nobody would have predicted Mm-mm. Florida state. I think I mean, he at that been- time heading into this uh, seminal showtime camp, James Wilder had already committed to UF twice silently, yeah. but they were well known. Um, yeah. I think I even talked to James and, and he, and he told me that um, he called urban after one of the games and, and told him that he was coming. So James Wilder had already committed to UF twice and he wasn't really expected to be at showtime. Um, and he shows up and I, I was in the parking lot with him when he walked in, he didn't even know where to go. That shows you like he had no idea what building to go into. I'm like, Hey, you know, just follow our group in. And he, he followed us in and, and I was like, wait a second, they got a legit shot because I think he may not even have gone to Friday night lights or he, he did, and he spent more time at Florida State. It, it showed, like, he had legitimate interest in Florida State. And I think, too, Florida State uh, made a point of it that, hey, listen, we are going to recruit you at running back and give you an opportunity to play running back, where most schools were like, hey, we're going to bring you in as a running back, wink, wink, and you're going to be playing linebacker. So I think that Jimbo had had big backs before, and, and having an Eddie Grant who had a history of – uh, extending guys to the NFL. They, they had, you know, good, um, they had yeah, that ability. And, and that t- Jimbo by assigning, if you, if you think back on it too, by Jimbo assigning Eddie Grand to be the primary recruiter, it showed that they were recruiting him at running back because mm-hmm. Lawrence Dossey was the area recruiter of Tampa. So normally Lawrence Dossey would be the one handling James Wilder's recruitment really till the end. And then he would hand it off to the position coach, but instead they had Eddie down there every, you know, every opportunity could to show his face in front of James Wilder and things started to turn. Um, another tricky recruitment, I shouldn't have used the word tricky, but Quint Trickett, uh, McKinley. Do you remember the dynamic between whether or not Quint Trickett was going to get offered? Do you remember how that went down because his dad was on staff? It was a very touchy subject at the time. Yeah, I you know, I don't remember the, the intricate details, but yes, I do remember that because he was so close to the family. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. his dad was on staff um, and they were fam- family friends. Uh, Jimbo had kn- known um, Clint since he was a baby. So it was just a dynamic of, you know, hey, are you going to offer him? Hey, is this kind of was this kind of a little form of nepotism? Um, can he really play at Florida State? Are you going to offer him? So, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a very touchy situation that I remember. And, um, and there was also the dynamic to it that I remember the coaches telling me, like, if we do offer Clint, like he's going to, it's going to be an offer commit scenario. That's why mm-hmm. they hadn't offered. So we know, uh, running message boards, there's always like a, a hang up, like fans can't get over a certain 
certain thing in recruiting. And this was it that year. Like, is Clint Trickett going to get offered? And and of course, I don't remember if he got offered at the camp or when, but of course he, he, he ended up getting the offer committing on the spot, blah, blah, blah. The rest is history. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. it was just one of those message board things that seemed to to never end that recruiting cycle, that question. But Clint was, Clint was good enough to get recruited by uh, power. Absolutely. You know, I mean, if you had seen him that year, he had taken North Florida Christian all the way to the state finals. And he was the reason they were there. Um, I think he had taken over and, and he led that team to the state finals. They almost won. They, they went against an American heritage team that was way, way better than them, I believe. And I, the ability was there. He just was a skinny kid. And mm-hmm. he had that problem at Florida state of putting on the weight, but he had a good arm. He was able to do a lot of the thing, you know, and being around Jimbo and his family, he knew the playbook. So it's not, the worst case scenario is going to be a good backup. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, he proved his worth at Florida state. I mean, he came in, I believe was it for ponder or one of the other quarterbacks uh, against Clemson. He went up there with uh, to Clemson and they, they, they played with Clemson for most of the game. And it was a game Florida state wasn't even supposed to be in. So he was a competitive guy. And you know, you see now he's successful now as a coach too. Yeah, but 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 look at that that O nine class. Talking about that O nine class, right? A lot of that nucleus, you know. First of all, they made it on campus, number one, and then number two, that was the core of your championship team in thirteen. Oh, you know, so. I'm not even done. I got to read you guys. All right, now, so I only read you guys about half of the the list of mm. of recruits that were there. I I always say that Jimbo built that national championship off of his surprisingly enough off of his defensive line recruiting, like everybody knew Jimbo was this offensive guru and this guy that was a quarterback whisperer, blah, blah, blah. But quietly he stacked the defensive front and it Uh started in 2009. Let me just read you who was in attendance at this camp. Timmy Jernigan, Corey Miller, Brandon Willis, Darius Cummings, Lewis Nix, Ed Christian. Um, These weren't just like, top defensive linemen. I mean, these were like arguably the top defensive linemen in the entire country. And it goes to show you that it's not, you don't get better by getting one or two top kids on campus during the summer. You got to get almost all of them on campus to land, you know, a handful of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just what he did. I mean, fish, Timmy Jernigan is a prospect in high school. I mean, I think I, I think I had him the top rated player in the state of Florida, regardless of positions that year. Um, He was another guy that was heavy, heavy, heavy uh, Florida uh, throughout the recruiting process, but Florida state, one thing Jimbo was able to do um, those early years was keep themselves in the game. He just Mm -hmm. felt like if he could get through a good season um, and, and Timmy was right there, they, you know, Odell recruited him. They knew they had a shot at him. Uh, and then f- when they beat Florida, I remember being in the locker room after the game and, and Timmy, w- you would have thought he was part of the team. I mean, he was celebrating. I said, this thing's a wrap, you know, it just, you knew that's where he was going to go. But Timmy was a big, big piece of the puzzle because one, the position of need me and McKinley talk about this all the time. You, I know the fans get into wide receivers, running backs, who the skill guys are, who the quarterback is, but the reason teams get to you go look at those final four teams every year now they went up front o-line mm-hmm. d-line and yep. timmy was that the five-star 
D tackle that everybody wanted, Alabama, Florida, and they won that battle. And that's when you knew, all right, you're like, all right, this team's going to be playing for something uh, down the road. Yeah. And you knew it was coming quickly because they were picking these pieces up one by one. And these guys wanted to play together. You could see when they were on campus together, uh, even though they weren't teammates, a lot of these guys, they fit in well with each other. And you knew mm-hmm. they all wanted to play with each other. And that was a big thing is getting those guys on campus all at one time and getting them around each other multiple times. Yeah. That was a big thing for Jimbo. It's like, hey, I want these guys to know what it feels like to like they were almost teammates when they were on campus, even though they had it. Right. And it wasn't just one or two good players. It was, there was a sense of like the recruits would look around and be like, wow, you know, we're all here hanging out. If we all went to this school together, we, you know, we could turn this thing around and and you, you could actually hear guys like having that conversation with each other at those. Well, that's the thing is these guys were like, we're going to make Florida state great. Again, you know, like, hey, listen, we're going to – and that's the one thing is even when you're down, you got to you got to put into a kid's head, you're the reason we're going to be – Florida State's been a great program for the last 30, 40 years. But, hey, you guys are going to be the reason we get back to being a national power. And those kids bought in to mm-hmm. that belief like, hey, wait a second. It's starting to look like every year that they were there – they took one more step and those kids were like, wow, this is like, you start to believe it when you see it every year. Hey, they're bringing, if you went to one camp in in 2007 or eight, you saw, all right, 2009, every year they were bringing in better players than the year before. And those guys were like, you know what, this is a place I could come and And now not only a fun, but play for a national championship, become a first round pick, be it, come an NFL player. Mm-hmm. this guy's getting it done and and the players and the coaches you could tell by the players and the coaches they knew they were building something special at that time mckinley yeah. the name Corey miller and brandon willis do you remember that <laughs> yeah. year fsu what they were trying to do at burn high school in alabama yeah yeah, yeah. we uh we, we we got the great prospect justin bright um that, that actually signed and committed to FSU, but the biggest um, was so Mark Justin. Bra- hold on, Justin Bright was like a three-star white safety from Burn High School. Yeah, they was, bought the cow, but that it, <laughs> the milk it never got delivered. Up, huh? It got, they ended up with the bull, not the cow, because there was no milk. That came from that cow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lattimore, you know, Lattimore, Willis, and and, uh, and Miller, but were the three yeah, they prizes. Got right. Yes. And, um, you know, I mean, sometimes you got to go like, like, like we fish was talking about, you go big game hunting, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and sometimes you have to, you have to go through that. But the fact of the matter was Jimbo wasn't scared to go after those type of kids, you know what I mean? And he wanted to get, you know, he had, he understood that, Hey, I I may have to take a Justin bright. If I want to get in the game, Oh, Marcus Lattimore, you know what I mean? Um, also, the thing that we're, we're forgetting, too, is that, like you mentioned earlier, Josh, UF, FSU had to get over that Urban Meyer-UF monster. You know, they just won two championships. And that Jeff Luck, uh, the Marcus Joyner, that group was the group that showed it was cool to go to FSU again, mm-hmm. right? And, and they, you know, now the FSU is now the, the thing to go. You know, Jimbo was getting into those Timmy Jernigans where he went up for battles, James Wilder, and he's winning them. 
votes and he was dominating the state. Once he dominated the state of Florida and was winning up front because of his SEC ties. And he remembers, hey, the game is won. They'll say Fish mentioned in the trenches. So he started getting those dominant type of defensive and offensive linemen. And I think that was what transitioned them to greatness. And, and yeah, Florida State started landing commitments. They got Terrence Brooks committed after the camp. Obviously, Tyler Hunter was there as well. Um, James Wilder commits. Kenny Shaw commits. Um, was it successful, Fish? Do you think Seminole Showtime served its purpose and was successful? I definitely think so because it got – once again, you know, we've talked to coaches about this, um, you know, James Coley, who you knew very well. And I, I know very well. One of the things James Coley always preached when I talked to him is getting kids on campus three times before their senior year. And they would get them on their campus for those, you know, one day camps. And then they got them on like by Seminole show, by the time Seminole showcase came, that was that third time that they had right. gotten on their campus before their senior year. And that was huge for them. And you saw their hit ratio. The more times they got those guys on campus, the better mm-hmm. shot they had at landing a guy um, in the end. And a lot of those guys, I mean, how many times was LaMarcus Joyner on campus uh, right. by Seminole Showcase? What, five, six times? I mean, his junior year, he came for camp. So it was huge. And it put them, it, you know, Seminole Showcase put them on the map. It was a, sh- it, they got big name guys to come work the camp former players and, and these players got to explain to them what it meant to be a Seminole and, and, and what you had to do to win at that program. So yeah, it was positive. I, I think it was a good idea to finally get rid of them. Um, but it definitely was smart to bring them out uh, well, when they did. That, and that's a good point. Like they, they, they got the ball rolling downhill. And what I mean by that is they started putting on these showtime camps. They started landing better commitments not then those commitments end up signing with Florida State. And now in 2008, in 2009, you had EJ Manuel, who was the number one quarterback in the entire country in 2008 when he signed with the FSU. Now he's working the camps in mm-hmm. 2008, in 2009. And you can I'll, see the ball start rolling. I'll tell you a quick story about EJ. EJ was a kid. Um, he was a huge, huge Miami fan. Wanted to play. He wanted to play football in the state of Florida, uh, but he was a huge Miami fan. And at the time, Miami had uh, they had a coach. Uh, God, they, Patrick Randy Nix. Shannon? No, Patrick Nix was the okay. offensive coordinator, and he had gone down there, and they kind of blew him off. And EJ that weekend came to uh, an elite scouting camp. <laughs> Uh, at, in, he was down here in Florida and he came to our camp and, and we had like Teddy Bridgewater there. They had like star Jackson. They had a bunch of kids and EJ was there at the camp and EJ, uh, he liked Florida, but I think Florida had John Brantley committed to him or one of these other guys that was like a, a top kid. And he wanted to play in the state of Florida. Um, and I told, you know, the Florida state coaches, you know, they, they had, Hey, do who look good at the camp? And I was like, Hey, there's this kid, EJ Manuel, you guys want to check out. He's very interested in playing in the state of Florida. And that time Jimbo was the OC or maybe head coach in waiting. He wasn't the head coach, but he was able to go watch him that spring. Mm-hmm. And that's how he ended up at Florida state because we had seen him at our camp and, and um, you know, we had said, Hey, listen, 
this is a guy you want to check out. He wasn't even on Florida's. Um, he liked, uh, you know, Miami. He was, he was about to commit to Miami. That's why he came down to Miami that spring is, was to visit them, uh, get to know them and commit to them. And that's how close he was to going to Miami. And if it wasn't for such a bad visit, uh, you know, FSU probably would have had to recruit someone else. Yeah, there was certain guys that maybe they didn't have the careers we wanted to. Now, EJ EJ was a first-round draft pick and all that, but like a Jeff Luck, uh, EJ Met, you know, there were guys that maybe weren't necessarily the biggest impacts on the field, but their purpose that they served in recruiting mm-hmm. really helped fuel future classes. Um, mm-hmm. So we're gonna, so we're going to move on from the 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 camps from 2007 to 2009. And this is where Jimbo takes over as head coach. And as soon as Jimbo takes over, he stops Seminole Showtime. It's over. When we return after the break, we'll talk about how the Jimbo Fisher camp was born. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And in 2010, what we now remember is the Jimbo Fisher camp was first started. Um, The first camp was the summer before Jimbo Fisher coached his first game. So I think they only had one camp at that time. It was in June. And I wasn't working at Knowles 24-7 yet. I started at the end of August. So I went back to, to kind of refresh my mind. And I realized I wasn't there. But our good friend Jeff Vogt was there. Uh, Jeff Vogt was covering FSU with you, McKinley, or was this after you at Noel Digest? Uh, yeah, so Jeff was after me. Um, at the time, I was still working with Myron, and uh, I was about to become a head coach and a teacher um, in the state of Florida, but I worked at Kent. Okay, so in your opinion, McKinley, why do you think Jimbo got rid of Showtime? Um, well, I think that it started to kind of lose its luster a little bit. And I felt mm-hmm. as though he, he thought as far as a summer camp was a, as it was a time that he can get the prospect and the family there longer, um, as well as evaluate them, uh, multiple times, but just have a chance to interact with them a little bit more instead of kind of the hoopla of one night and then they go home. But with a visit, it could have been more, um, more personal, um, and, you know, I think that the recipe, you know, showed in its success. Yeah, no doubt. And the recipe was pretty simple. It went like mm-hmm. this. There was two camps in June. There was, or I'm sorry, there was one camp in June, one camp in July. Both of them were three days long. 
Um, it would begin on Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon was the first session. Thursday had two sessions, a morning session and an afternoon. And then the camp would wrap up Friday around noon after a morning session that would take place inside Dope Campbell Stadium. Um, and then they would do the exact same thing in July. There is no uh, differentiating really through 2010 until Jimbo left in 2017. Um, Fish to you. What do you think Jimbo's philosophy was on summer camps? Like what was, what was different from Showtime and what was he trying to accomplish with this new, this new set of uh, camp? Well, I, I remember you, you look at um, Goldman. Uh, he, he was one of those Eddie guys. Goldman, that, defensive tackle. At, yeah. Eddie Goldman was one of those guys. He got on campus for the camp. Now Eddie didn't work out, but he was there for three days, just, you know, being around the other players and, Having those guys there, it's a lot easier to recruit other guys when they see that guy standing there, this five-star D-tackle there for three days. Um, so I think that was a main point was getting a lot of these guys on campus and other recruits seeing them and, and knowing that they're there. And they're like, all right, if they're recruiting these guys, this is where I want to go. So mm-hmm. it, it, it allowed them some of the lesser players on their board that they wanted and probably didn't want to have to sit there and fight for a whole year. They were able to get those kids interested and pull the trigger a lot earlier than they probably would have when they're seeing these guys on campus, all these four right. and five high five-star kids. Right. And Jimbo's first camp, which was the one in 2010. Now it wasn't the the format that he w- used once he took over as head coach, but it kind of, it wasn't seminal showtime at all. It was much more of a camp format. And one of the prospects that was there was Rashad Green. And Rashad Green actually committed at this camp. And obviously he went on to be, you know, ar- arguably a top three or top five wide receiver in FSU history. Um, do you, Fish, do you remember Rashad Green going up there? Um, at this point, he had already transferred from Georgia, correct? And he was down yeah. at St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, Rashad was a guy that I was really big on. I actually, that year Rashad came out, there was Sammy Watkins came out. Um, there was also, uh, we had, um, God, I, you know, he, those were the, the two big guys that they were going after. Um, and we also had Kelvin Benjamin and there was, uh, another guy that Florida state was real high on at that time was Jay Wan story. Um, who you Juwan knew real story, well. Yeah. Out of uh, yeah. nature coast high school. So, Jimbo, even back then, we, you know, he had asked me about these guys. And the one thing about uh, Rashad, I was, he was so polished and he was such a quality kid off the field too. And he Mm -hmm. works so hard. His work ethic is, um, I think it, it, it worked. Other players were able to see what Rashad was doing. I mean, he, he was the guy that was going to be the first one in the locker room and the last one to leave. And he was a, guy that was always going to do the extra work and it showed on Saturdays. Um, mm-hmm. How many times did Rashad come up with a big play? I, I don't think there's outside of Peter work. I don't think too many receivers had as many big plays in big games that Rashad and the impact he had, he, you know, he come from Georgia, went down to St. Thomas. A lot of people really didn't know about him and he stepped on the field at St. Thomas and just took off and, and, you know, he wasn't the biggest or fastest as, you know, he wasn't one of those guys that was going to go to the combine and run a four, three, he wasn't six, four, but he did a lot of things really, really well. And his, Mm -hmm. 
what he did off the field and the impact he had on other players. Um, I think he kept a lot of guys in check. I think guys like Kelvin Benjamin probably wouldn't have made it at Florida state. If it wasn't for a Rashad green, because his work ethic rubbed off on guys. One of the other guys that was there, we saw Carlos Williams return. Now Carlos Williams has been on campus three years in a row. Like you said, this is kind of the formula to landing a top recruit is getting him on campus all those times. Mm-hmm. Um, one recruitment that also sticks out to me was Nick Waysom. Uh, Nick Waysom was like a borderline five-star corner out of the Orlando area. And he was a heavy lean to UF. And this was another recruitment that kind of started to shift the balance in the state of Florida. Uh, McKinley, do you remember the importance of the Nick Waysom recruitment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, Nick went to uh, South Lake High School. Um, mm-hmm. He's actually coached by um, Walter Banks. And, you know, Nick was, again, you know, everyone thinks like Orlando is kind of, you know, a lot of Orlando kids go to UF for some reason. Um, and, he, you know, it was a big time recruitment. And that's something, again, a battle that FSU had to win. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. to change the perception, to make sure that it's, it, it's, hey, all of these different players, again, the Wilders, the Jeff Lux, LaMarcus Jordan, the Monte McAllister, Timmy Jernigan's. Um, Nick Waysom's, these were all battles FSU went toe-to-toe with, with UF, and won them, ultimately. Won, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, and it changed the perception of the program, ultimately. Yeah, and it could have gone either way, because if you think about it, like right now, in the last couple of years, UF and FSU don't really go head-to-head. When Correct. FSU was at the top, and UF was struggling mightily in 2012, 2013, 2014, FSU and UF weren't going head-to-head. Mm-hmm. But... As this built up from 20, 2008 to 2009 into 2010, you start seeing FSU go after all these top kids that are supposed to go to UF. Now, if FSU goes up against UF and gets washed in each of these battles, I wonder if thing, you know, I don't think the 2013 national championship happens. There's no doubt about it. I don't want to. No. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you said, and, and Fish has said, Jimbo wasn't afraid of this, but if they don't win these battles, we're not talking about Jimbo Fisher coaching at FSU, being a national championship uh, type coach and all that. I mean, he probably never gets off the ground at Florida state if he doesn't win these battles. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he he probably gets fired to be honest. Um, I mean, those, those are all, again, the game comes down to players and the Jimmy's and the Joe's and Jimbo was able to land those Jimmy's and Joe's and, and they were able to propel him to that national title team there's no doubt in my mind if he does not land win those battles against uf and uf gets those kids fsu is not winning the national championship and jimbo fisher probably gets fired mm-hmm. plain and simple no question and it took a lot to elevate you know jimbo just kind of said like no this this ends here we're going after the top kids in america we're going to land the top kids in america and Back then, knowing Jimbo, knowing the coaching staff, they were so confident in themselves. Like looking back on it, I don't know where exactly that confidence came from, but they're lucky that they had it. I, I think it comes down to the the guys on the staff. You look at them; they're all very good recruiters to this day, and they're all very confident. I mean, you look at Eddie Grant; he he had come from Auburn and and Old Miss and and recruited at a high level. Coach Coley has a lot of confidence and was mm-hmm. one of the top recruiters. You look at um, even Coach Stoops. Stoops. Stoops is 
you know, people don't realize like how long Mark Stoops was around before he became a coordinator. I mean, he was at Miami um, as a GA under, um, you know, under Greg Schiano and Butch Davis. I mean, these guys had been around these programs. They knew what players looked like and they were confident in themselves. I mean, you've been around these coaches. They, <laughs> they knew what the top, they, they ask you, Hey, who are the top players? Who should I go after? And mm-hmm. don't give me anybody that can't play a Florida state. You know, the, the, and the one thing is, is when Coley got to Florida state, the one thing, um, that he as a recruiting coordinator put in place was him and Jimbo asked their coaches when they were recruiting a guy, can this kid beat Florida? Can this kid help us beat Florida? And if that kid couldn't help them beat Florida, they didn't recruit him because Florida was the top program. I do remember Eddie and Coley telling me like when, when we would talk about guys, they would, they had a checklist. One, can this player help us win the ACC? If the answer is no, we're not recruiting him. And then the second question was, can this player help us win a national championship? And those were really the two things that they looked for in a recruit. Can he help us win the ACC? And can he help us win a national championship? That was it. It was very simple. Um, This is a good spot to to stop this episode because we're going to continue on with the series and really talk about the Jimbo Fisher camps from 2010 to 2017. But before we go... Since I got McKinley on here, um, we were talking before the show. McKinley, I think if there were seven summer camps under Jimbo Fisher, you coached at at least six of them, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. What was it like um, being a coach out there? What were some of the expectations for uh, the coaches that came to work the camps? All right. So, yeah, working at the Jimbo Fisher camp, um, there was an expectation that, you know, everything was going to be organized. Um, as far as what you wore as a coach, you know, you had these shorts, you had this shirt given to you, you had these, this bag given to you. And it was, it was definitely very well detailed and organized. You knew, um, pretty much you could work any position that you wanted to work, but you were there to work and you were going to assist the coaches and, um, you you aren't going to be there just, you know, just tag along, you know, you're going to serve a purpose. Um, and I think just being around, um, coach Fisher, he made you want to raise your game as a coach, right? I mean, you know, even though you weren't um, participating in the camp, you were like, man, I, you know, not to say you're trying to get a job at FSU, but you mm-hmm. just wanted to make sure that, hey, man, I don't want to get called out by Jim Fisher. There was a standard. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, he and he said it, the standard is the standard, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and, and you kind of knew that going in. And um, and just the quality that he had at the, at the camp, even the shirts that they gave you, I mean, they were Nike. I mean, little things like that, I think, says a lot about your program. And I think mm-hmm. Jimbo had high standards, and he has high standards to this day. And um, I think that's why he's successful, you know, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and that success and that those standards and the organization and just the focus – would go on and and what we're going to get into it um, on the next episodes. I want to talk about um, kind of the art of getting big names on campus. Uh, some of the memorable arrivals. There was a couple number one player in America type recruits that came to campus and just all the drama that's associated with summer visits. So um, before we get out of here, I want to thank you, uh, Fish, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. Hope you had fun. And McKinley, uh, not a lot of people know this, but you were a late addition. I called you about 45 minutes before the show started because Chris Knee had a plumbing issue explode in his house and is is currently uh, 
dealing with shop vac and, and plumbers and all kinds of, of issues over there. So McKinley came in and pinch hit for Chris Nee, and we appreciate that, McKinley. Yeah, well, thank you guys for having me. Um, you know, guys do a great job. Keep it up. All right. And thank you all for listening to On the Bench. We'll be back with another podcast from this series soon. something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.